good, good Father. I encourage you to make the most of it. I know God's everywhere present when you leave here. You can find Him in the mountains. You can find Him wherever. But this morning, I prayed, capture your heart in a new and a fresh way. So this is your time with Him. As you stay in that attitude of prayer, sometimes being quiet is so uncomfortable. <laughs> we live in such a loud and fast and busy world that even those few moments can feel uncomfortable because we need some extra stimuli, I guess. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what's coming in your future. But I do know this, according to that song. He's a good, good Father. The God of creation, the God who loves you, the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a good, good Father. I know we live in a broken world and I know there are disappointments. I know there's trauma. I know there's tragedy. I, I, I know all of that. And you know that. And it's easy in that time to listen to the whispers of your own heart or the work of the enemy to say he's not a good, good father. Because if he was a good father, he wouldn't have let that happen to you. If he was a good father, he would have answered your prayer. If he was a good father, he wouldn't have let you down. If he was a good father, you wouldn't feel the way you're feeling right now. But I want you to, to know the truth. Because the world lies to us. The enemy lies to us. Our own carnal nature lies to us. I want to tell you the truth. He is a good, good father. Always has been, always will be. But as important is, and you're loved by him. Again, through the ups and downs, twists and turns, successes and failures, mountaintops and valleys. He's not only a good, good father, but you're loved by him. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're loved by God. You don't get to determine that. He gets to determine it. And he's determined that you're loved by him. And again, the world and the lies and the heartaches, we can forget that. So that's why I wanted that song to be played, because hopefully it'll stick with you. I love worship songs that stick with you through the day, and stick with you through the week, and you find yourself singing them and go, gosh, oh yeah, I sang it on Sunday morning. This is one that I find myself singing a lot. Is you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. And that's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And as I journey through the day and what I have to face, those are powerful and positive words. So please, as we pull this worship time together, please remember that. He's a good, good Father. It's who He is. And you're loved by Him. That's who you are. Father, I just pray that you would draw close to each person. You know their joys and their heartaches. You know the things that bring them inspiration. And you know those things that bring them discouragement. And as we walk on the earthly journey, I pray they would remember these 
these truths. You're a good father, and we're loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, good morning, everyone. I've entitled the message today, The Role and Responsibility of the Church. That sounds a little lofty, a little uh, stiff, maybe. You know, I usually try to talk about relevant subjects and things that make a huge difference in our lives. I'm very passionate about that. You know, I always work real hard on kind of, what, what can I call this? And uh, as we're going through Ephesians, I'll mention that. Uh, I just think it's straightforward. The role and the responsibility of the church. Pray with me. Father, teach us today. We're the church. People who have received you, Lord Jesus, into their heart as Lord and personal Savior, we're called the church. So I pray you'd help us to more fully understand our role and our responsibility. And then as we gather as a family of faith, Lord, that gives us a chance to know, again, what our role and responsibility is. I just thank you for each person that's in here today, how wonderful and special and important their lives are. I pray that you would bless them and bless them richly. In Jesus' name, amen. If somebody were to come up to you and say, What's the role and responsibility of the church? How would you respond? Think about it a moment. Nobody's probably ever done that. And they may uh, never do that. But just assume. Somebody catches you this week and says, Hey, what's the role and responsibility of the church? How would you respond? Wheels are turning, huh? Yeah, that's right. What what probably would happen is you'd say, here's Pastor Jeff's number. And I'd get all kinds of phone calls. But I think it's important for you to be able to know how to answer that question. And you say, why? It's because if we have a role and responsibility that we're not sure of, we're not clear on, how do we fulfill it? You're the church. If you read the Bible, if you're a born-again Christian, you've asked Christ into your heart to be Lord and Savior. You're the church. So what's the role and responsibility of the church? If you don't know what the role and responsibility of the church is, how do you know what your role and responsibility is? Make sense? That's why I think it's important for you to be able to ask and answer that. Faithfulness is dependent upon knowledge and clarity, right? Let's say you got a new job. Hunter is now in Phoenix. Get a new job. You go through orientation. They give you knowledge and clarity as to what your job description is so that you can fulfill it. Right? They want you to know what your role and responsibility is. So what's the role and responsibility of the church? I'm concerned that here in America, by and large, we've lost our way in regard to the definition of what the church is and what the church is all about. I think we've captured a wrong perspective. Could that be true? The intellectual West, with all of our technology and all of our advancement and all of our pride, could we actually have missed the real role and responsibility of the church? I think we have. As hard as that may be to hear, 
And those of us have given ourselves to be involved in church for a long time because I think there's a lot of what we call the church doesn't jive with or it's in stark contrast to what the Holy Bible says the church is. Let me give you just a a quick little illustration. In the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, it says, God gave to the church apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who's to do the work? The saints. In America, who does the work? That's what we pay Him to do. Do you see just in that one little glimpse, and I could give you a dozen or more than that. The way we've defined the role and responsibility of church, I don't think always squares with the Scriptures. And I think that's to our detriment, and I think it's an important thing for us to consider and to be sobered to in a very important time of human history. How many of you know we're in an important time of history? Just look at the election. Tell me, tell me that what is going on and what will go on will not make a impact upon our future. uh, None of our heads are in the sand, I hope. So what's the role and responsibility of the church? I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3. And if you've been coming here on a regular basis, you'll know this. If you're a guest here with us today, we're so glad that you're here. God bless you. We are doing a six-month study, uh, about six months, on the book of Ephesians. Uh, I do a lot of topical things and a lot of relevant things, and there are times where I just believe we need to go to a certain book in the Bible. And so we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 3 today. We're going to look at verses 8 through 13. 8 through 13. I think this is a very significant book of the Bible. If you want to grow in your faith, you want to mature, you want to know God's best for your life, Ephesians is a tremendous book. And so that's what we're looking at. I want to read that to you today. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 and following, it says, To me, this is the great Apostle Paul, To me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the mystery, uh, the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart and my tribulations for you, which is your glory. In just a moment, I want to bring out five nuggets of truth that I think we can highlight and see here. But first of all, again, the role and responsibility of the church. I want to give you a couple definitions. First of all, the church, it's the Greek word ecclesia, ecclesia, and it means called out from and belonging to. So if you're a part of the church by being a Christian, you're called out of something to belong to something. What are you called out of as the church? The ways, the habits, the patterns, and the philosophies of this natural world. 
We're called to be out of that. We're no longer to belong to the way that they think and they act. Before I became a Christian in 1978, drinking drugs, sex, and rock and roll were a part of my life. That was very common in that day. It was a part of the natural world. And then God called me out of that. I don't want you to continue that down that path or that lifestyle. We're to be called out of our pride, our selfishness, our self-agenda. The Bible calls it the flesh or the carnal nature. So if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church, we're called out of those things. And so what? Let's use the, the, the definition for role. It means a specific part that someone has in a particular activity or situation. If you're a part of a team or a group, you have a position to play. Not everybody plays the same position. Okay? The, the quarterback and the tight end are two different people that play a different position. The role, I, I like it to say, it's like a puzzle piece. Anybody ever done puzzles? Uh, do you see what I'm looking forward to in my, in my retirement? I'm going to do puzzles. I know. I don't know what I do. But when you have all of those pieces, they're, they're, one piece is very unique, but it fits orderly with all the others to create a picture. So the role of the church and then the responsibility. Responsibility means a duty or task that you're required or expected to do. Others are counting on you. It's an obligation, not an option. So what's the role and the responsibility of the church? I want you to be thinking about that, and I'll, uh, I'll hit that in just a moment. But let's, let's take a look at a few things here that I think that are applicable for us as we're going through Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. First of all, we see... The concept of humility. The, the concept of humility that Paul understood grace. If you see it there in verse 8, Paul says, To me, who I am less than the least of the saints. Do you see his understanding of humility? He said, I was the least. I, I was really no good at all. If you knew anything about the Apostle Paul before uh, receiving Christ and following Christ, he was a very influential and, and prominent Jew. And in one place in the Scripture, he begins to list all of his accomplishments. All the things that he was and all the things that he did. And then finally he says, you know, I count all those things as lost, as dung, just to know Jesus. He had a sense of humility. He began to view his life as nothing really that special or that significant or that important, where before it was all about Him. How many of you know that your flesh, your carnal nature, your pride, your selfishness wants to make it all about you? And that's the philosophy of our natural world. It's all about you. And like my friend Rod says, nobody cares. You're the only one that really cares that much about you. It's true, isn't it? We care a lot more about ourselves than anybody else does. And Paul said, hey, I understand. When I gave my life to Christ, it's no longer about me. I'm really nobody. I'm simply an available servant of God to make a difference in our world. My friends, that's where grace comes in. Because you recognize that who you are and what you have and what you've done and what you can do, it's not about you. 
It's about God's grace. If you're going to do anything to make a difference in anybody's life, if you're going to make an impact of any significance in our world, it really has nothing to do with you, your skill, your ability, your talent, your looks, your charisma. It's simply God's grace. It's the grace of God that He's given you to make a difference. And that should create a sense of humility. And that's why it's such a hard concept to really capture and live is because we're fighting against this prideful, sinful nature that says it's all about me. My friends, I want to encourage you today uh, from uh, Ephesians 3, verse 8. Paul sets a great example. We all need to continue to pursue and apprehend a sense of humility. Humility. Jeff, you really are nobody. Except by the grace of God. Except by the grace of God. Second thought for us today is searching for the unsearchable. Do you see it there? Paul went on, he said, To me who have less than the least of the saints, this grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles. Listen, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Let me ask you in life, what are you searching for? I bet uh, it's been a long time since somebody ever asked you that question. To ask you to slow down and to think and to contemplate and to evaluate. What, What are you searching for in your life? Are you searching for the unsearchable riches? Interesting question, huh? Are you searching for the unsearchable riches? See, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, the Sovereign One, the Savior of all the world, is so lofty and is so beyond our comprehension that we need to continue to search for the unsearchable. I fear that in myself and maybe in others, we've gotten a little too complacent and, and comfortable with Jesus. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And boy, do I believe that and do I love that hymn. But if you're not careful, it's just good old Jesus. It's just old Jesus. You know, that historical figure died on the cross I asked into my heart who walks with me every day the unsearchable riches how many of you know there's still a whole lot that you can learn about Jesus and his riches I know you know that I know that I know that but I always don't live that way and I don't always practice that I want you to know the Bible really encourages and and displays that we're going to be learning about Him for all eternity. That's how big He is. That's how high He is. That's how deep He is. That's how wide He is. And you know what? The church, sometimes we're just bored. We're bored with church. We're bored with our faith. We're bored with Jesus. We're bored with religiosity. We're just bored. Because maybe we haven't been... Searching for the unsearchable riches. You know what? I've been a Christian and in the faith and in ministry. I think I'm in my 38th year, Mike. What do you think? Figure that out for me, brother. 
And I've just got to be blunt, blunt honest with you. Sometimes I think, I've been there, done that. I've been around this church world a long time. And I can just go, I got it. I, 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 I know, I know people. <laughs> I've been around people. I've been bitten by sheep. <laughs> Many a times. I know how to run from sheep when they're biting. No, I'm just kidding. Gosh, the scripture inspired me this week. Gosh, when I come to church and meet you and love on you and share the word, that's all great. But am I searching the unsearchable riches of he who is everything, Jesus himself? What would be different if we went to church? I mean, it'd be exciting because, you know, we go to a ball game and we don't know who's going to win. That's why we yell and scream and cheer and eat popcorn and knock our Cokes over and all that stuff. It's because we're excited. We don't know the outcome. But when we come to church, it's like we already know Jesus won. Jesus won. And when I die, I get to go to heaven. Okay. So why should I be excited today? Is because you can search for the unsearchable riches of Christ and His glory and His kingdom. And so that should bring us some sense of excitement. Jeff, you just get so passionate about it sometimes. Yeah. Duh. We have a relationship with the King of glory. He who is unsearchable. Shouldn't we be somewhat excited about that? Huh? You there? You with me? I want to go to a church where we're searching the unsearchable riches. Where we're not just so complacent and comfortable. It's just old Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. I love that. He is my friend. He's my best friend. I don't know where I'd be without him. But you know what? I don't know him totally. There's still more I can discover. And, and I still want to learn a whole lot more. So whether I've been 38 years in the faith or three years in the faith or 53 years in the faith, are you searching the unsearchable riches? Point three, the role and responsibility of the church. I asked you that earlier and I gave you time. Don't you like when somebody asks you a question they don't give you any time, they want an answer? My son just uh, was down again in Colorado Springs applying for Colorado Springs Police Department and the first MMPI that they do is there's 586 questions and you have this certain amount of time and you do true uh, and false and you get through that and then you've got to do your polygraph and they, you know, he's telling me about they fully up and they ask all these kind of questions and uh, I don't think you'd mind me telling this. That's why people don't like pastors' kids. But uh, they said, hey, and one of the polygraphs said, hey, what's the, what's the shoplifting thing? And he said, what are you talking about? Well, you said it last year and then it scored again this year about you shoplifting. He was, he was a junior high kid and he st- stole a pack of gum. Now, that, that's horrible. Because I know none of you have done that. But you know, if you don't answer immediately, it goes beep. So I gave you time to figure out the answer to that question. What's the role and responsibility of the church? Paul says it right there for us in, in verse 10. You want to know the role and responsibility of the church? Right there in verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Gosh, you've been, you've been wondering about that all your life. What's the purpose, role, and responsibility of the church? It's right there in verse 10. 
to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. And you're going, gosh, I don't even understand what you're trying to get to. Here's the point, my friends. If you are a Christian, you've asked Jesus Christ to be Lord and save your life. You're called out from your selfishness and your pride and, and the habits and the patterns and philosophies of this world to belong to one another. Here's what it is. The role and responsibility of us as church is to have such a unique, viable, passionate, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ that by how we live, it says to the world, you're foolish and you're unwise if you don't live that kind of life. The role and responsibility of the church is that we make the manifold wisdom of God known through us. So do you, do we have such a unique and passionate and relevant and authentic walk with God that the world says, gosh, I'm, I'm just foolish. I'm just silly. I'm unwise because I'm not living like that. That's the role and responsibility of the church. And you're the church if you're a Christian. So let me ask you, let's do a little grading on ourselves. How are you doing? I'm not trying to fill in the blank for you. You get to fill it in for yourselves. How are you doing with your role and responsibility? How are we doing with our role and responsibility? Is the world looking at me? Is the world looking at you and going, gosh, they're, they're living such a different kind, outstanding life. that Gosh, I, I need to become like them. When I look at that, I go, oh, God. Oh, God, am I fulfilling my role and my responsibility? We're to be examples. I'm not saying we're perfect. We don't make mistakes. But I'm saying, does people know that your life is so dramatically different that you're a Christian? That you follow Jesus Christ? Because that's your role. And that's your responsibility. That's our role at Connections Church. And that's our responsibility. There's somebody going, gosh, what's going on at that building over there, Ridgeview Classical Schools? Man, do you see what's going on? Man, there's something happening over there. Gosh, we got to go check it out. we got to go find out because something is happening over on that corner. Or do they drive by Sunday after Sunday and they look at our parking lot and there's no disrespect. Is anything different happening there than anywhere else? Something is. Amen. Let's keep it going. It's our role and our responsibility. And you know, at my age, 42, it doesn't matter to me about getting my name on a marquee anymore. It used to. But you know what I do want? I do want this place to be full. Because people are going, gosh, there's something different about you, Jeff. There's something different about you, Connections Church. You're living in such a way... That we don't see it anywhere else. And I'm not talking about other churches, but they're going, gosh, I want to be around it. Gosh, how many more days do we have? I don't know. Do I have another day? Do I have another week? Do I have another month? Do I have 10 years? Do I have 20 years? I don't know, but you know me. I want to go out blazing. 
I want to go out sprinting. Sometimes I don't know if I can get up out of bed. My body hurts. But I still want to sprint. A couple more and then I'll have the band come back up. No, I'm just kidding. Number four, living with boldness and confidence. Do you see it there in verse 12? In whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Isn't that encouraging and powerful? Don't you love that? I love that verse. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Boldness. Boldness to have an authentic relationship with God that I can go to Him. You know, i got boldness to call my mom or go to, drop by her house anytime I want. Because we have a relationship. I've got boldness. You have that same kind of boldness with God? That you're not timid. You're not afraid. You've made a mistake. Maybe you've sinned. Maybe you got caught in something. Maybe you've done something you shouldn't have done. But that there's this boldness of relationship that you go ahead and, God, here I am. I'm not going to be afraid or timid. I'm going to come to you. And what about need? If I have a legitimate, significant need, you know who you know I can go to? I can go to my mom. I've got boldness. Mom? Mom? Mommy? Remember me? I'm your youngest. I'm the baby. Mommy, you love me. Mom, I need that. Mom, can you help me out? I got boldness because of our relationship. I'm not timid or afraid. How about you with God? The Bible says we should have boldness with God and access with confidence. Do you have confidence that He's always available? He always wants to spend time with you. He always wants to reveal to you how much He loves you and He's got a significant plan for your life and He wants to lead and guide your every decision. Do you have that same kind of confidence? Paul did. He says we've got, because of our relationship, we're the church, we're called out ones, we're following Him, we're passionate for the right things, we're focused on eternity. We've got boldness and confidence to come to God. i got to tell you, there have been times in my journey that I lost the boldness and I've lost the confidence because... For whatever reason, I began to doubt the love, grace, and mercy of God that He has for me. I felt like a failure. I made a mistake, or I sinned, or whatever I did. And God, you know, like they did in the garden, they didn't come when they when God started walking through the garden. What they do? They ran and hid. And I find people all the time, even Christians today, running and hiding. They're not running to God. Say, God, I'm sorry. I want to repent. I want. I really want to live for you. I, I'm sorry. I got detoured. God. Please, I see people go, whoa, 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 I don't know if I can trust God anymore. He let me down, didn't answer my prayer. You know, he doesn't seem to be a good, good father. You know what, I don't know about this religious stuff. You know what, I I don't want to do that anymore. My friends, I urge you to make sure that your boldness and your confidence in approaching God is high. Because he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And you're loved by Him. That's who you are. So have boldness and confidence. The last point, and then we'll have our testimony time, is don't lose heart. Look at it in uh, verse 13. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart. This exhortation or this truth may be for you today. Most likely, it's for many of us in here. Don't lose heart. Because we've had an authentic faith and we've tried to live it out the best we know with passion and integrity. 
the enemy and the world have been strong opponents. I've been in many a battle in the last 38 years with and for my faith. Got lots of bumps, lots of bruises, battle wounds. And sometimes I just say, God, it's enough. I'm tired of my wife getting beat up spiritually. God, I'm so tired of my kids paying such a price for my call and my faith. God, I'm just done. God, I'm tired of the sheep bites and the expectations and the criticisms and the betrayals. God, I'm done. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. There have been many times I said, God, I'm done. I'm done. I've lost heart. And then the Spirit of God says, don't lose heart. Keep fighting. It's the right battle. Keep paying the price. You know, people have lost heart. I've been in this a long time. I've seen a lot of people come to faith. I've seen a lot of people get knocked off. I've seen a lot of people just say, like I did, God, I'm done. If this is what it means to be a faith, a faith and follow you and be in ministry or be a Christian, forget that. I'm done. They've lost heart. Or they've lost heart. In the body of Christ, they've lost heart in preachers. They've lost heart in, in the church. I don't need to go waste my time on Sunday morning. I don't need to be in a small group. I don't need to relate. I'm done. Maybe you've never been there. I don't know. Or maybe in your heart of hearts you are there. Or maybe you've been slipping and go, gosh, man, I, I just don't know how much longer I can hold on. Don't. Lose heart. This life is passing quickly. The battles still are raging. The rewards are coming. My friends, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because we have a role and we have a responsibility. To let our world know that Jesus Christ is alive. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other answer except found in Him. Everything else is vanity and foolishness. And Jesus is our only hope. He is our answer. They need to see that in us. They need to see that among us. We have a role. And we have a responsibility. These were good verses, weren't they? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of the challenges of the battle, when so often I've just said, God, I am done. I thought of the time so often when Jesus said to the disciples, as many have left, are you going too? 
And they said, where else are we going to go? You are the only one who holds the words to eternal life. Where else would I go, God? There is nothing else that could really mean anything in this world. So, Father, I just pray that none of us would lose heart and that you would continue to teach us and love us and inspire us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Of a testimony of what God's done in your life or what he's doing or what he's putting on your heart so that we hear from each other. This is not just Jeff's morning. This is your morning this morning. Hi. Good morning. I'm Sherry. It is so nice to see you from this angle rather than the backs of your heads. You guys are beautiful. Um, As a church, you've been praying for some friends of mine about a year ago. Um, One of them had a brain bleed, and um, she wasn't expect to make it, but she made it, and she's recovering really well. She was the breadwinner of the family. She had businesses, and so she's still not able to work. They've been working on different therapies with her. Um, We've raised money for her or for them, her family. Had a one-day garage sale, raised $2,000 or $2,300. It was awesome. That is definitely through God. We were blessed with a bunch of donations for the week. Um, our goal was 2000 God blessed us with more. Um, we've also had some fundraising events. And then most recently, they were gifted a house and property. And this is through God. This is, you know, we're all praying for them. They have, they moved into this house out in Nunn, um, 20 acres. Amy has always wanted to um, be involved with dogs, train dogs, board dogs. This is her life dream. And so they can sell their old house and they will be free and clear. Um, God is good. Amen. Well, you don't know how much I don't want to do this. <laughs> But in my quiet time this morning, I really felt that I needed to say how much getting into the Word has changed my life. Uh, In April, I found out that it was a possibility I needed a pacemaker. And then later on in April, I found out I needed two hip replacements. And the peace of God is just incredible because what you you don't know is how terrified I am of doctors, hospitals, nurses, uh, anything to do with that because of circumstances from when I was a kid, almost dying, have a C-section with my first son, uh, just all kinds of different stuff. So you can't get any richer than getting in the Word of God, but it's taken me 49 or 50 years because I became a Christian when I was 15 or 16. I had struggled and struggled to get into the Word, failed, couldn't do it, beat myself up. I mean, Satan didn't even need any help there. Every time I tried to open the Bible, I'd be so angry. You wouldn't believe it because I heard this voice in my my head saying how stupid I was and I wouldn't understand it anyway. And so I was believing it for a long time. But in the Bible, it says that he makes wives the simple. So if you feel you're simple, like I did, that um, whether it's true or not, he can get through to you. And... What I really wanted to let you know is that in all those feelings of my fear of doctors, nurses, surgery, I had uh, a lot of feelings of anxiety, stress, shame, embarrassment, disrespect, help, helplessness, being ignored, anger, and frustration. 
And I was a little upset with God that the answer was three surgeries to my maladies. I had to work through the the fact that I really don't want new parts. (laughs) And I'm going to get them. I have one, a pacemaker defibrillator is now in. Um, I have to deal with that. I would like to be how I was born. Just me. But uh, on Sunday, May 22nd, The Lord gave me a scripture, and I am using that for my next two surgeries as well. And the reason I have the peace, the joy, and the confidence that I have now is because the commitment and the grace he gave me to get into the word. And it was Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, there is nothing to fear, for I am with you. Do not look around you in terror, and be dismayed, for I am your God. And terror is the word that I would described perfectly how I felt about surgery, medical stuff. I mean, terrifying. I will strengthen and harden you to difficulties. I think he's done that. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness and justice. And so that was... During my quiet time on Sunday, May 22nd, I came to church. I heard the pre-service worshipers practicing. And while that was happening, you know that song, I go into the garden alone and, you know, you meet with the Lord. That's kind of new to me. I don't think I've heard it much. Up until then, I was kind of thinking I was crazy because I like to dance with God. And so I felt as they were worshiping just a really anointing in this room and I just felt that I was dancing with the Lord but it wasn't usually on a dance floor or like I usually am that we were twirling up into the stars I was dancing with God and he threw back his head and laughed in delight and that has absolutely blown me away because before this and getting to the word for my all the years of my life, I've never believed that I was even loved, not even by God, anyone. And I tried to believe that my husband loved me. Poor Brent. He gets a purple heart because I couldn't accept and receive. And so the Lord has been showing me his love, how to accept him, how to receive it, believe it, and apply it and so because god loves you god loves me he can do anything and the circumstances of what i'm in now i just know is by the grace of god because all this fear anxiety and stuff is just being it's like an out-of-body experience i just this is not me but god has changed me and i know that he's walking with me so no matter what the circumstances what's happening, that I don't have to look around in terror or dismay because I do have that confidence because I got into the word before this all happened. And why it's taken 49, 50 years for me to really listen, make a commitment, pray that I was willing to get into the word. And I realized all the times I wanted to get into a word before I was lazy and I realized that I really had to surrender the thought that if he gives me a heart that is willing, which is scripture, uh, it becomes a desire and a delight. 
And that's what happened. I am addicted to the word. The only thing to be addicted to ever. <laughs> Thank you. And that testimony will go down in infamy. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. That's just awesome. Let's all stand on our feet. And let's sing our closing song. God bless you today. Love you.